Hello and welcome back to the Kurdistan in America podcast. I'm your host, Dulovan Barwari. In this 12th and final episode of season 4, we're honored to feature a very special guest, Miss Bonnie Carroll. She's the founder and president of the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, TAPS, a non-governmental organization dedicated to supporting families affected by military losses. As we approach the new year, we would like to take a moment to extend our warm wishes to our audience for a joyous holiday season and a new year filled with hope and positivity. Ms. Bonnie Carroll is the surviving spouse of Brigadier General Tom Carroll. She also served in the military, retiring as a major in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. In her earlier civilian career, she served three presidents in senior policy positions in Washington, D.C., lobbied on defense and aerospace issues, and was posted in Baghdad from 2003 to 2004 during Operation Iraqi Freedom as an advisor to the Ministry of Communications. Her experiences in Iraq inspired a global network offering hope and healing to all those grieving a military loss. The connections she forged among widows and mothers of the Peshmerga and Iraqi army laid the foundations for TAP's research on supporting the enduring legacies of service and sacrifice, the families left behind. In 2015, Ms. Carroll received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Obama, the highest civilian recognition in the United States. In this episode, Ms. Carroll shares her experiences in the U.S. military, her time in Iraq and the Kurdistan region, the inspiration behind establishing TAPS International, and her perspectives on the Kurdish people. And once again, wishing all of our listeners a happy new year. And now, the interview with Miss Bonnie Carroll. Bonnie Carroll, welcome to Kurdistan in America. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. It's an absolute honor having you, Bonnie. Uh, you are a former U.S. military officer. Let's begin our discussion today about that. Please tell us about it. Wonderful. Well, uh, I, I come from an unusual uh, heritage of military service. My mother actually served in the military, and it was a very important part of her life to contribute to our nation's defense and freedom and security. So early on, uh, I made part of my life joining the Air National Guard, which is a reserve force of our military. It's interesting in America, we have this National Guard that serves our states for natural disasters uh, and other situations, but, but also is uh, a reserve to our active duty forces. In that role, I uh, was a logistics officer, so I had the opportunity to support many missions. And over the course of, gosh, 30 years, served uh, several active duty stints and was even mobilized act after our uh, attack on 9-11. Very interesting. And uh, Bonnie, what, can you tell us a little bit about where you were stationed, where you were mobilized? Yes. At that time, uh, in August of 2001, I had just joined a staff in the Pentagon for National Security and Emergency Preparedness. This was three weeks before the attack on our Pentagon. So it was uh, my office, actually, that was a lead in the response. And immediately uh, mobilized and served. 
because of my particular role supporting surviving families of military loss, I uh, then was running the Pentagon Family Assistance Center because we had lost hundreds of our uh, our civilians and our military members working in the Pentagon. But uh, that was an opportunity to wear the uniform, to be present, and to step forward to serve. And it was after that time that I then volunteered as a Department of the Army civilian. Very well, Bonnie. I'm not sure if you served there, but you also worked with the U.S. military in Iraq. Can you tell us about that experience? When 9-11 happened, uh, when the attack on 9-11 happened in the United States, my assignment was then in the Air Force Reserve, and I was actually working in the Pentagon uh, in the Office of National Security and Emergency Preparedness, which was a frontline support for the recovery of Washington, D.C., and the care for the families who were impacted uh, by that tragedy. I served in in that capacity for the six months of that immediate response, then uh, accepted a presidential appointment back into the White House, but very shortly was asked by the White House to volunteer to go to Iraq to be part of the Coalition Provisional Authority. Uh, My role was as a senior advisor to the Ministry of Communications, the Iraq Telephone and Post Company. I think one of the most important things that we did during that initial time in 2003 and 2004 was the licensing of the mobile phones and bringing GPRS uh, into Iraq. Uh, We worked with AsiaCell, Arachna, Athir, wonderful companies to set that up. We actually also opened 263 post offices, worked on postal routing, uh, licensed spectrum for television and and Wi-Fi, but a great team. The most important part of our day, every day, seven days a week, was working with Iraqis, with Kurds who had dreams, who had vision, who wanted to uh, start a, a television station or radio station or sell mobile phones, and and so many opportunities for dreams to come true then. So it was an honor. It was an honor to spend time in Kurdistan and and throughout Iraq and get to know the people of of your country. That brought a lot of memories to me because I also served in Iraq. I was a DOD contractor, and I recall the Ericsson, one of the Ericsson mobile phones that was issued to me. I think, I believe we met in Baghdad because I recall meeting uh, someone that was in charge of the telecommunication missions in Baghdad at the Green Zone, specifically at the convention center in 2003. I, I believe it was, and I, I have a vague memory, but if it, it was, if it was a woman who gave you a mobile Ericsson phone, that was me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it. so, yeah. I love it. Tell me a little bit more about your experience. You also mentioned Kurdistan region. You, you Did you travel to Kurdistan in 2003, four? Oh, it was beautiful. It, it was actually wonderful to be there, to get up to Erbil, to Sulmania, to see just the, the peace and stability in, in the region. We were just so excited to have that chance and whew, gave us a sense of hope for the rest of the country, really a model for for what the region could be. Absolutely. You know, Bonnie, that was actually my first time 
traveling, visiting my homeland, Kurdistan as well. When I was stationed in Baghdad, I flew to Erbil with a C-130. First time. My, oh my, my first God. time visiting Kurdistan region. Now, I want to pivot to TAPS International. You're the founder and president of the organization, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. Please tell us about the vision and mission of the organization. Well, thank you for that opportunity. It really goes back uh, quite a number of years. You know, as I said, I was serving in the West Wing of the White House early on in my career, had the opportunity to work directly with the president. And there was uh, a particular incident that occurred that involved the National Guard. And because uh, that was something I did uh, in a part-time status, the president asked me to uh, check into this situation. I did. And that was actually how I met my husband. He was a, a military officer. He was commander of the Alaska National Guard. And uh, we ultimately married and off I went to Alaska. So lived a wonderful life with him. Uh, we had foster children. We had a very busy, active household. And then very tragically, my husband and seven other soldiers were killed in an army plane crash. And at that time, it was just impossible just even to find a way forward to really understand how one recovers from that kind of loss, not only of, of course, your, your loved one, your future, but also of that, that connection to a, a community and the military and, and honor someone who died while serving. I went looking for that kind of organization in our country and found that it didn't exist, nor had it ever existed for all Americans grieving the loss of a military loved one. So it was then now nearly 30 years ago that I said, well, as a military officer, as a senior former government um, employee, as, as someone who you know has a lot of drive, I thought if I don't really start this, if it truly doesn't exist in America, then who will? So that was when TAPS, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, was founded. So over the course of time, it, it it really was that deployment in uh, after 9-11 and then going to Iraq and to Kurdistan that inspired the creation of a global network because it was uh, very clear that we grieve as one global community. Talking to the, the Kurdish, the, the families of the Peshmerga, the families of the Iraqi army, while serving with them in a contract capacity, but also as just women talking to women, got to hear that their grief was the same as mine, that they were honoring their loved ones who had served and died, just as we in America honored ours. So we started on this journey. The first thing we did was create a, a very short survey. And uh, through my, my translator, we sent it to Americans and, and gave it to widows and mothers and then connected it, translated, shared the answers, and they were identical. So that was the beginning now, uh, 21 years ago, to really build a global community of all of us, honoring our loved ones who have died while serving and helping each other grieve. Bonnie, you just uh, brought a lot of memory back from the recent event that we, I attended. 
it was a TAPS international event in UAE where representatives from 18 countries, I believe, attended the event. Can you tell us about that event? Yes, absolutely. And it was wonderful to see you there. Over the past now 20 years, we've worked to create a network, a global network of those uh, organizations caring for families of military and conflict deceased, particularly with the eye on sharing best practices, letting those leaders know that they're not alone on this journey. You know, one thing we've learned in our research on turning war grief into positive peace is that we have the power as that community coming together to make a difference for the next generation, the living legacies of service and sacrifice. Delavan, as you know, death and loss are inescapable repercussions of violence and war. The people who are living in or who have lived through conflict, trauma, and war teach us how to turn the devastations of war into a path towards global peace. Really, it is the bereaved, the widows, the orphans, the veterans, and the refugees who have witnessed the very best and the very worst of humanity and have been forced to rebuild not only their countries, but their very identities who can make a difference. You know, while war is waged by nations, it is fought by individuals. War and conflict pulls apart families, and it, but it takes place in communities. And we're seeing that now in Burkina Faso, in Ukraine. And the lessons that you were able to share with our partners in those countries and your experience with the Peshmerga pushing ISIS out of Kurdistan were invaluable. You let our partner in Burkina Faso know that she is not alone in this journey, that that you have lived through this, you have survived, you have triumphed, that the people of Kurdistan are building a stable society, and uh, that we stand with you, that we stand with Kurdistan as that global community, caring not only for the current military, political state, but also to ensure the stability for future generations. Bonnie, thank you very much for the invitation. I was honored to attend the event, and I learned a lot. And, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to share my experience. I want to shed some light about my background as well. Um, I come from a Peshmerga military family, and I was a refugee myself. You know, I, I, when I was an infant. So, and as you mentioned, it being a refugee, war, peace, it does build. Uh, identities and I do have a Kurdish and an American identity and a global identity because I've traveled so much and I'm honored to have attended the event with you and TAPS International is also planning to has visited Kurdistan and you're planning to visit again can you tell us about that please oh we're very excited to come back we've done this now for many years bringing American families who have lost loved ones in in the region back to find healing within their own soul, but also to make that human-to-human connection, meeting with mothers, with widows, with fathers, with families. We're way up in the uh, the mountains outside the hook and had just incredible experiences, just embracing families, transcending the barriers of, of language, of culture, of religion, but coming together as as 
human beings with broken hearts who honor our loved ones forever and always. It was absolutely a magical experience. And we were so grateful to be hosted uh, by the Barzanis, by the Peshmerga, and really have that chance to see the whole country from uh, outside the hook to Sulmania, much time in Erbil. And we look forward to being back again and doing this regularly. It's important not only for our families, but I hope for yours as well. Thank you, Bonnie. We are honored to have TAPS International visit Kurdistan. And we're looking forward to your next visit. Now I want to pivot to pivot back to your experience in Iraq back in 2003. And I want to you to reflect if that vision, that mission of liberating Iraq and democratizing the country and stabilizing the region, in your view, is Iraq today a success? Is the Kurdistan region a success? If not, what can be done to improve this situation? Dalavan, I, I may have a very different view on this than, than some, uh, particularly some in our military. But personally, our goal was economic empowerment of the Kurdish people, of the Iraqi uh, people, to bring business, to bring uh, economic success, to to bring in uh, the, the mobile phone, not only the phones uh, for personal use, but also the business that, that was around that to ensure that uh, the country was thriving. And we had so much opportunity to do that. Uh, it was in January of 2004 that I actually asked executives, the leadership of big tech companies in America, to send at their own expense uh, teams to Iraq, to Kurdistan, to set up companies to build a tech infrastructure that would catapult uh, Iraq and Kurdistan into a new generation. What you may not realize is that you had the benefit in going back to our mobile phones uh, with having the latest and greatest technology because you didn't drag legacy systems as we have to in America forward. So the equipment that you were getting was far beyond what we'd even seen in the U.S., I thought was was wonderful. Uh, we had an opportunity then to really push that economic uh, platform forward, and I was incredibly disappointed when we had to leave in the summer of two thousand four. At that point, our our dream of uh, the electronic banking, of the um, bringing in the tech companies stopped. And uh, that was devastating. Um, so my personal view, if we could have in our ministry, uh, Haider Alabadi was a minister at the time, if we had continued on that path with Joelle Masoom was on our, our staff, and then she became the minister, we had so much momentum and so much potential for the country. Uh, I think if we had been able to keep on that path, it would have been a different story. But that's just my experience. Very well. Bonnie, uh, the Kurdistan regional government has undertaken a mission to establish an e-government. And part of that is the banking system and the biometric system, having all the employees on that biometrics system. So everything is electronic. Now, there's a lot of opportunity to bring that 
or help the Kurdistan region with the tech companies, U.S. tech companies. Have you looked into that as an opportunity? Oh, we looked into that as an opportunity in 2003 and 2004. I went on, uh, actually, Robin Roberts from Good Morning America was in uh, Baghdad and interviewed me. And I, I said in March of 2004 that we were 90 days away from ATM machines and credit cards because we realized electronic banking was absolutely critical. And uh, we were close at that time. But again, uh, as I said, when we had to leave, which was heartbreaking, uh, that effort stopped. And I believe it was actually instead of weeks, it was years before that electronic uh, banking system came in. We had the opportunity to bring in again the, the newest technology rather than bringing in legacy system um, you know, dragging that as we, we've had to in other parts of the world. So I'm very grateful. Uh, it's been wonderful to be back in Erbil and in other places and now see that electronic banking in place. But I wish we could have done it 20 years ago. Absolutely. It's never too late. Market is open for U.S. and European and international investors to take advantage of that. Bonnie, you, you've traveled to Kurdistan many times. Uh, what is a word or phrase that describes Kurdistan for you? Thank you for that. And I, I think the word has to be heart. It is the word, um, you know, also hope. The heart of the Kurdish people is so pure. The friends that I have made there are friends I will have for a lifetime. The hope that we see where wherever we go, uh, whether that's, Families who have suffered losses, who now hope for a future that that honors the sacrifices made, being welcomed into homes with incredible hospitality, to to meet families who become part of our family, and to transcend those barriers of language, of culture, of religion, to really create a community of love and honor and respect and, and a benchmark for the rest of the world on that recovery and resilience. So uh, the heart of the Kurdish people, I hope, beats in, in my chest as well. Thank you, Bonnie. We love you too. Love you. Now we've reached uh, the end of our interview. Would you like to add anything else well, that we've missed? Just my, my hope for the future, that we come back many, many times, that we work ever closer with the people of Kurdistan, the families of the Peshmerga, that we continue the relationship and that we share with the world the prosperity of Kurdistan. Thank you so much, Bonnie. We're so honored to have you on our show. Thank you. Once again, I'm Dilavan Barwari, and I truly thank you for listening to the Kurdistan America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Mission in Washington, D.C., if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on popular platforms like Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. This way, you won't miss any of our episodes. Thank you again for tuning in.